Well, let us now turn to the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to stand as we prepare for this time in the Word. Turn to Psalm 119. We're going to continue in Psalm 119 today in verses 17 through 20. Psalm 119, verses 17 through 20. Hear now the Word of God. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit of God, illuminate this word to us now. Build us, strengthen us. Show it to us. Open our eyes to the good things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning, we return to our study of Psalm 119. And we remember what we're going through in Psalm 119. It's this convictions of the godly man who loves God's word and he sees through it his utter reliance upon God to walk in the way of the Lord. And as we look back through this psalm, just as a quick reminder, we can see the beautiful instruction that the Lord is taking us through here. It begins with a declaration of what is holy and righteous, that this is the blessed man. And then the next section asks asks a question. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can we, in other words, attain this righteousness, this holiness, And then in verse 17 in our section today, the source of this holiness is revealed. The psalmist shows us how we are to seek the blessing, learning that while the blessed man strives for holiness, he realizes more and more, more clearly, that he is insufficient for these things. And he cannot even live without the hand of the Lord to open his eyes. And so there's really one overarching theme that I want us to focus on today. And that is our reliance, our reliance, our dependence upon the Holy Spirit to understand God's truth and to thereby walk in it. And we will see that in order, if we want to perceive the word of God at all and understand it, it doesn't come from a sufficiency within ourselves, but in God. As Paul said to the church at Corinth, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And today, we'll see that in order to perceive and apply the word of God comes from a work of the Holy Spirit. And so by way of application to us, we must pray for the Spirit's work, as we just did, devote ourselves to God's word daily, and then reflect that gospel truth to the world. So with that introduction, let us begin in verse 17. And we see here that the psalmist immediately recognizes his dependence upon God and begins with a prayer of faith. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Now, we all want God to bless us, don't we? We all want the blessings from heaven to pour out upon us and to receive the abundant love of maker, the maker of heaven and earth. But notice, notice two important convictions 
about this, this short petition. First of all, the recognition that God is sovereign over all. He's the one who deals with us. And then secondly, notice the psalmist recognize his humble position. He calls himself a servant of God. And this is not a, this is not a self-focused pharisaical prayer from those who love to stand on the street corners and be heard as they pray. This is a prayer in private. This is a prayer of a man with a broken and contrite spirit who rightly petitions for God's mercy. Because God has poured out an bountiful, abundant supply of grace into our lives. So we need to approach him as we see here and humbly receive it. The 2 Corinthians 9 says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. All grace. Not withholding. It's pouring out all upon us. Grace to forgive. Grace for strength. Grace to bless us. So when we go to God, we never come back empty-handed. He gives us and pours out upon us. This is a good Father. And so we can rightly ask Him for His grace and ask for His bounty to be poured out. And then why? What What is the purpose of this request? He says that I may live and keep your word. And it's a question we should ask ourselves. What is the abundant life? What is the bountiful life? Is it to be rich with treasures of this world? Is it to have great fame before men? Is it to have a life of perfect health and ease? No. The bountiful life of God is that we may live and keep his word. And note, this is not achievable in ourselves, but it's by God's grace. It's the reason for living. It's for the glory of God. Living so that by God's commandments, we can carry out his truth and live it. The psalmist petitions God that, that while he lives, he may give and devote his entire life to God. He says that I may live and keep your word. Is there any other way for the Christian to live? That I may live and keep my word? That I may live and keep the world's word? Whose word will we keep? For to live is Christ. And that is the life of the Christian. To die to self, having taken upon Christ all things made new. And then to walk in it. I want us to consider for a moment the unsaved person, the unregenerate man. And if you think about it, really the shorter an unsaved person lives, the better. Because fewer are his sins and lesser would be his judgment. But to the redeemed in Christ, it's the opposite. This new life is blessed. He goes from election to glorification along the pilgrim path of sanctification. And so for the Christian, we love life. We want to live because that's the more we can do. The more we can live and keep his word. The more we can bring glory to our God. The more we can edify others. The more we can testify of God's goodness. The more we can share the gospel. Because even as we long for heaven, which we should and do, it's a tremendous blessing to live. That I may live and keep your word. And just as a consideration, remember, 
as Christians, we love and value life, don't we? Life is very important to us because it means the opportunity to serve and live for God. And so do you see why the gospel is so relevant in the life issue of our day, which is what? Abortion. That's the life issue of our day. We love life because we trust it only comes from God and he doesn't make mistakes. And because that little baby, you know what? It doesn't matter if they're born into bad circumstances or even if the mother doesn't love that child. These are things God can easily overcome. God holds the hearts of men in his hands. And thirdly, when that little baby is born... That is a soul by God's grace that can grow up to glorify his name and keep his word. So we cannot relegate abortion to a political issue. Do you see? It's a gospel issue. It's a kingdom issue. It's important, brothers and sisters. This is life, and we love life. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. See, the psalmist recognizes he is utterly reliant upon God to keep his word. He cannot do it within himself. So the question is, are we? We read the word, we devote ourselves to it, but do we commit our understanding to the Lord? Keeping God's word requires a spiritual understanding of the word. As we know, this is not just any book. This is the living Sword of the Spirit. So spiritual understanding comes only by the ministry of the Spirit. and So the psalmist then says in verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes. Unveil my eyes, God. Because while we can read the Scripture, these truths are hidden. Did you know that? They are hidden until God reveals them to to us. It's not a matter of being an academic or a scholar. In fact, Jesus spoke directly to that. He said, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. It's not an academic endeavor. We need the eyes given by God to see. As Jesus said in John 3, a man can receive nothing Nothing unless it's been given to him by heaven. Open my eyes that I may see, what? Wondrous things from your law. The word of God has incredible life-giving truths. The life-giving truths of eternity that transcend time. Truth that is divine. Wisdom that was there thousands and thousands of years before we existed. Do you realize that? And will go on for eternity. God unveils, he unveils this truth for us that we can partake of it. That's just incredible. We are fallen creatures, but God opens our eyes to the truth of eternity. 2 Corinthians 3 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding In a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Unveiled faces. The opening of our eyes to perceive and understand God's law. This is called the illumination of the Holy Spirit. 
And this is an important doctrine for us to understand. Divine illumination. The Holy Spirit's work to give us understanding of God's words. We can only see and understand his word by the work of the Spirit within us. It's the Holy Spirit of God working in your heart to reveal his truth. And that's why, and I'm sure almost all of us have have gone through this, we've read a passage of scripture, maybe you've read it 20 times before, but upon this reading, something new is quickened within your heart. The Spirit reveals a new truth. Because this is the living word and the active spirit. They're not just black and white pages on the text. And we see this, actually, function of the spirit in Christ our prophet. Christ executes the office of a prophet by revealing to us by his word and the spirit. Both the word and the spirit. God's will for salvation in our lives. So this is the Holy Spirit's illumination of the Word of God. Now, for children, children, that is a big word. Illumination, isn't it? It's a big word. But it's a very simple word. It just means to shine light on something. To shine light on something. Brother Stefan over there is getting the light shined on him from the sun. It's coming down. That's what it means. It's like, it's like pointing a flashlight on something in a dark room, Right? It was covered up, but now you can see what it is. But so much more with our souls, brothers and sisters, that we can see and understand the word of God when the Holy Spirit shines light upon it. The Spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of God. Paul said in Ephesians 2 that the Lord... Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So this is an active work in every Christian's life. The Holy Spirit will do this. The Spirit of God brings understanding that we may know his way of salvation. Now, this illumination is perhaps well, very well described in 1 Corinthians 2, which which our brother read as our scripture reading today. And if you have your Bible, please turn there to 1 Corinthians 2, because I want us to note a couple things. First of all, in verse 7, it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of which God ordained before the ages of our glory. Speaking of how the wisdom of God is an unknown mystery to the world, it's unknown to the world, but it can be spoken by us. When we have understanding. And then in verse 10, it's revealed. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit reveals or opens. He opens our eyes to the deep things of God. And the spirit gives us understanding. Notice this is continually happening through the Christian life, right? When we're saved, we don't immediately understand every deep truth of God, do we? But through the process and walking of sanctification, God in time, by his perfect providence, reveals us more and more clearly and convinces us of the gospel truth. Now, one important aspect we have to remember is that the Spirit's work of illumination does not give us some secret insight. The Bible is not a code book and it's not a riddle. Okay, that has been said recently. 
No, it's the Spirit of God taking the plain words that are there in Scripture and making it real, quickening us, convicting us to life, to understanding. And the illumination of the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary because without it, we could never understand the deep truths of God. And so this is why the psalmist cries out to God for it. He cries out to God for his eyes to be opened so he can see the wondrous things of God's law. And now let's also just look at 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14. Because this gives us the other side of the story. It's not by man's wisdom or interpretation of the scripture that we live. We have a lot of incredible helps, right? We have commentaries. We have the catechisms. These are, these are helpful. But notice, that cannot bring life and salvation. The natural man cannot understand the word of God because he does not receive the spirit of God. We could say he does not have the illumination of the Holy Spirit to bring him understanding. So an unregenerate person may be very intelligent, very scholarly, but they cannot understand and will not believe the gospel because they have not been granted the ability to do so. The unregenerate person reads the word, but they cannot see it. They cannot see its light. And so, the word of God is actually repugnant to them. The message of the cross is foolishness. The gospel is an offense to them. And this is, sadly, the self-worshipping slavery of, to sin condition of the fallen man. So we have this word of God. It's there. Sometimes it's held back in the world, but it's there. But born, we're born blind. We're born spiritually blind. We can read the book. You can read it just like any book, but you can't see the deep, beautiful, divine truths of God. Left to ourselves, we would never know and understand the truth about God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, higher than your thoughts. As Christ said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can't see it. Spiritual blindness. This is, an, this is just having no comprehension of divine beauty. So we say that the unsaved are blind, but, but really only spiritual blind, because the unregenerate man can read Right? The physical words in the Bible. Anyone can do that. But they cannot see God's good plan for salvation. But the illumination of the Spirit comes, and then it is spiritually revealed. It's always been there. We didn't see it before, but now we see it. It's like walking into a dark room, a completely pitch dark room. You can't see anything. But if you shine a light, if you turn a light on, all of a sudden, it's all there. Which is why it's very dangerous to walk around in your house in the middle of the night when it's dark because you're inevitably going to step on something or bang your leg into something. We've probably all experienced that. But so much more for our souls, brothers and sisters. Where we need, we long for this heavenly wisdom. We, so we cry out to God for his illuminating work. We cannot turn the light on. We, can, we don't. 
We cannot manufacture spiritual understanding of the deep truths of God. Only He can bring that by the Spirit. So we petition Him for that. So do you have to go to seminary to understand the deep divine truths of the gospel? No. No, you need something no man and no school can provide. You need the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, which is freely given by God to all his elect children because he has opened your eyes that you may see. Tomorrow, actually, we celebrate the 505th anniversary of the Reformation. When Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg in 1517. It's a long time ago. And of course, there's much we could discuss about the Reformation. But as it applies to our teaching today, remember the Word of God is His revelation. right? It's His revealed truth to all His people. And one of the significant works of God in the Reformation was to get the Word out to God's people. That was so important. Because without God's words in your hand and seeing it, well, the Holy Spirit can't illuminate it to give you understanding. Now, you could hear the word spoken or hear it preached, and surely the Spirit could illuminate it through that. However, there was times prior to the Reformation when that wasn't even happening. The word of God was muted and silenced and kept back from the people. Stephen Lawson in his biography on the Reformers, said this, The church in England remained shrouded in the midnight of spiritual ignorance. The knowledge of the scriptures had been all but extinguished throughout the land. Although there were some 20,000 priests in England, it was said that they could not so much as translate into English one simple clause from the Lord's Prayer. The clergy were so bogged down in a, in a mire of fear and religious superstition that they had no knowledge of the truth. And what was happening was that the arch, archbishops at the time were saying it was a dangerous thing to translate the scriptures into the language of the common man because the common man would distort them and get confused and not understand them. And because of these decrees against the translation the word of God was withheld from the people of God. But God, in this dark hour, raised up many men, and one in particular named William Tyndale. William Tyndale saw the appalling biblical ignorance of the church and even church leaders, so he gave his life literally to translating the word of God into English so that the common man of England could read it and then receive by the illumination of the Holy Spirit understanding and see the truth of God. Tyndale lived in hiding the last 12 years of your life. Think about that. He had to leave England and run around in hiding in Europe. And of course, he was eventually martyred. But before his death, he left his countrymen the whole New Testament and half the Old Testament translated into English so that they could partake of the word. Brothers and sisters, it's such a privilege to even have this word. You know, just to have this thing. Just to hold it, to read it. Oh, may we, may we not neglect it. May we let nothing in our lives crowd it out or distract us or overshadow it. 
Drink it in deeply. Be conformed to it and live. Live for God in his glory. You know, right now, one of our brothers and sisters is probably dying because they're trying to get this word to some other brother and sister. May we not leave it on our shelves, but may we read it, speak it, and live it. And understanding it, understanding that it's a supernatural work of God. For flesh and blood do not communicate the divine truths of God. Flesh and blood can never illuminate the soul of man with the truth of the gospel. But to see it in all its glory, to have a life transformed, it comes by a work of the Spirit. Praise God for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So in response to this incredible grace, we should really do two things. One, we need to lean into the Spirit's work of illumination in our lives by praying for it and receiving it. But of course, you must read the Word first. You must hear the Word to, to be illuminated. right? And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Our soccer coach, our soccer coach used to say, you miss 100% of the shots on goal you never take. If you don't read or hear the Word, there's not going to be an illumination of the Spirit. And secondly, we have to be so thankful that God gives us this incredible grace of illumination because it's how we can see wondrous things of his law. We are partaking of something beyond this world that's pure, that's better than all the gold in the world, that's sweeter than the best honey in the world. It's an incredible grace. The word of God, Psalm 19 says, the word of God is perfect. Do you know anything out there that's perfect? I mean, we could find something. Like, look at the edge of this piano right here. See this? It's a very beautifully routered edge of the piano. We would say, well, that's pretty good. That's pretty, that's pretty nice, isn't it? I mean, this is a nice piano, isn't it? But if we were to zoom in like 10,000 times, you know what that edge would look like? It would be like rough like the mountains. But you know what the word of God is? It's perfect. That's what perfection is. There's nothing like it around here. That's the word of God. And, and so, amen, the Puritans were right when, when they said we should tremble a little bit in fear and joy when we open the word of God. Because we're partaking of something this world does not know. Notice this consideration goes right back to our first verse, verse 17, that I may live and keep your word. I keep your word so that I can live and glorify you with my life. That I may spread this truth out to the world because I'm yours, God. I'm just a stranger on the earth. I'm an alien in the land, sojourner here for a short time. So don't Don't take this from me, God. I need this. I need this understanding. And so accordingly, in verse 19, the psalmist says this. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Brothers and sisters, you know we are sojourners. We're pilgrims with no continuing city here. But we're looking forward to that heavenly home. Right? Which, which Christ has gone ahead and prepared a place for us. That's the place where we won't be strangers anymore, amen? Where we'll be together, 
children of one family of God dwelling in our eternal home. So this word, we've got to have it. We're strangers on the earth. We've got to have it. We've got to have this hope of God, of the heavenly promise laid out before us. Strangers on a journey through a foreign land. One commentator said this, we are pilgrims. So we need a guide. We need a guard, a companion to direct and secure and cheer us along the way. And the word of God does that. When we walk through life, it leads us. When we sleep, it keeps us. When we're awake, it speaks to us. We are called out. We're set apart. We're we're strangers here. And in that, we are ambassadors for Christ. So we've got to cling tight to his truth. Closely, consistently, we cannot seek other sources for wisdom, but we must stay close to the heart of God and his word. We must also have this for our whole life. We must be filled with it. We must hunger and thirst for it. This gold we talked about, the honey, the perfection, it's what nourishes us. It's what feeds our souls. And so in that conviction, in verse 20, the psalmist says, My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. Or in the ESV, it's rendered, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now this harkens back to our study that we've done in the previous weeks about God's law. God's law is this beautiful instrument of grace that actually condemns us as sinners, but drives us to Christ. It reveals our sin and shows us a need for the Savior. So we love the law because it ushers us further and further and closer to Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. My soul is consumed with wanting more, the psalmist says. Understanding the deep truths of the word. This is life to me. My soul breaks for your judgments. Notice, this is not a Laodicean lukewarmness for God's love. My soul breaks for the longing of your word. It's rent, it's torn in pieces, it's broken, humbled by the life-giving precepts from the mouth of God. And he says that this is at all times occurring. Spurgeon said this, Note well that our desire after the mind of God should be constant. We should feel holy longings at all times. Desires which can be put off and on like garments are just mere wishes. They're just temporary emotions born of excitement, doomed to die when the heat of the creative created them has cooled down. But he who always longs to know and do the right thing is truly the right man. His judgment is sound, for he loves all of God's judgments and follows them with constancy. These times shall be good, since he longs to be good and do good God's word at all times. So as we, as we long for God's understanding, for the, to see the wondrous things from his law, the Spirit quickens within us, and we need to pray, I need you, Lord. My soul is consumed with longing for you. And thus the question we should ask is, what consumes us? 
Does your soul break with longing for the judgments of God? And this is something some of us might say, no, I don't really understand that. I don't think my soul is breaking for the longing of his word. And what it's talking about is the deep truths of God, to, to understanding what God is, who he, who he is, his revealed life-giving gospel. We have to see this. We must faithfully put ourselves before the truth of God. We can do that by reading the word, by hearing the word. And then we must pray for that illumination, for that understanding, so that we may see the deep things of God and then be broken and quickened and grow in love for it. Blessed are they who walk in the way of the Lord, who seek him with the whole heart, so that you may delight in his statutes and rejoice in his testimonies as much as all riches. Blessed and moreover, that is a life that is given to the glory of God. As the psalmist says, that I may live and keep your word. So that's, that's really the question for us today. Are we consumed with longing for God's truth? Or is something else out there captivating us? There's something else we lay in moments of daydreaming about that's captivating and consuming our souls? Or is it the truth of God? If you're not sure, pray for it. That's what the psalmist does here. Pray for it. God, give me this. He will give his children good gifts. For this is his will for you. That you should abound more and more to walk and to please God and grow in the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, that we might gain him and be found in him. Now, in conclusion, I want to draw two applications for us today. First, as we've heard about the illumination of the Spirit of God and how we must first come before the Word of God to receive that, we must be committed to our devotional life with God. I know we talk about this a lot, but I I want to make an earnest plea for it today. We've seen that keeping God's word is so important. It's It's life to us, the psalmist said. So we must ensure we are partaking of his word, that we are receiving it. And, And so knowing that we are dependent upon the spirit to open our eyes, we must receive and pray for the spirit's conviction. So, Just before you read the Bible, anytime, just as we did here today, or before you hear the preaching of the word, just say a prayer. Say, Spirit, illuminate, shine light on this so I can get something out of it. (laughs) I want to grow, to live for you. And so we pray a lot, don't we? Notice, I I pray right before we, we hear the word. A lot of times when we're meeting with in counseling, we pray. We need the Spirit of God. We don't need the words of man. Right? It comes, comes by power, by his truth. So just, just pray. It's going to be a quick prayer. It's before you open the word of God. Pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination. Now say, say, God, as the psalmist did, show me the wonders of your law. Awaken me to this truth that I might go and live for you. So pray. Additionally, we have to rightly prioritize 
our devotion to God. Your reading of the word, of all the things you have to do all day, and I know we're all very busy, but this is critical. This is our spiritual food. Even in your, on your busiest days, maybe you have three really, or a long week that's really, really busy. You don't just stop eating. We need to partake of the spiritual food, the bread of life. My wife and I recently have worked to help keep each other accountable in our, in our devotion time with God. And we'll ask each other. And we'll try to help each other by giving one another time to go do that. It's important. It's vital. At the Elder Summit, the CPC Elder Summit we just attended a, a couple weeks ago, we had a whole portion that was dedicated to our individual devotion times with God. And, and I actually want to share some of those points with you now. The very practical points. First, we must see our devotional time as having conversation with the triune God. It's a simple way to think about it. Through focused scripture and focused prayer. It's time with our Father. Right? It's communication with Him. And we're opened and ready for the Holy Spirit to speak to our souls. Secondly, we, we cannot approach our devotional times in a pragmatic way. Pragmatism hinders us. Pragmatism is the enemy. And, and sometimes we can think, okay, this is on my to-do list. I've got to read the Bible. They, the pastors say it's a good thing to do. No, don't, please don't approach it that way. Approach it this way. This is, this is my Father in heaven. This is my God. This is who saved me. I, I want to go spend time with my Father as we sung. Father, Abba, Father, we cry. So, so don't make it practical, right? Don't, don't try to go to his word to try to accomplish something. But just go to simply be with God. We need to do that more. And remember what Jesus said, when you go to pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. It's just you and God. Another point, don't try to be efficient or a good manager of time in your devotional time. That's not important. It's not important. It's time to soak up the truth and listen to God and commune with the living God. May we slow down. Not worry about the the clock so much. And if the word of God doesn't make sense to you, maybe, and that happens, we read it, and we're like, what is this talking about? Then then we need to study it. And and, and, and you can get a study Bible. I've actually brought a few, about three or four up here, that you're welcome to thumb through afterwards if you'd like to take a look and see which one you'd like to get. But this can be helpful, just to discern the word, to know it, then that we can... Trust our God, walk in his ways, and glorify him through it. Remember that Jesus is the word, right? And so, as we get to know him, we must spend much time with him alone. Also, don't go to your devotion time with God with a prescription of what you think you need to get out of it, right? Be open. Let the spirit of God quicken within you. It's likely he'll bring you something you never thought of before. Let that happen. One elder in the CPC recommended to us 
uh, Lexio Divana, which is Latin for divine reading. And it's a historical practice that goes way back to the third century. And we've talked a little bit about this before. Reading the word, meditating on it, praying, and then contemplating it. Like, okay, what does this mean for my life? Considering it. The brothers and sisters, children, even the youngest of us, we have to be in the word. We have to be partaking of the word and receive the illumination of the Holy Spirit. If you're too young and you can't read, somebody can read you the word. But we have to have this truth flowing in our lives. Listen to what uh, what we've read so far about this word in Psalm 119. Blessed are those who walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it and keeping it according to your word. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Which brings us to our second application today. Now we spoke of the illumination of the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding of the word of God. We talked about that like shining a light on something. But what happens to us as we are illuminated, we are lighted up, as it were, by the Spirit of God? Well, we become light-filled, like little lights of Christ, right? That's what we're told by Christ himself. We are the light of the world. So we, we who start in darkness, we have no light within ourselves, we grope around in darkness, but by the Spirit of God, we become the light of the world. As Paul said to Ephesus, at one time you were in darkness, but you are now light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. The light of Christ shines in us, right? His saving light shines through us. We don't produce the light, but we're like reflectors of his light, right? Reflectors of his grace and his gospel to the world. And unless we communicate that message by his word, by the preaching of the word, by the speaking of the word, then the world's never going to hear it. They're never going to see the light of Christ. Remember his words. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christ's light shines from us, reflects from us. So we must communicate the message of God's truth to the world. Because without this, the world is not going to hear the gospel of Christ. We are his ambassadors. Remember, through us, that fragrance of, of his knowledge is diffused in every place. So we, who we can do nothing by ourselves, we have no power in ourselves, are now the reflector of Christ's love and goodness. The sounding board, as it were, of the gospel. And all his glory is seen in us. So we serve as lights in a dark world. Remember from Romans 10. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him who have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. This is life or death. This is the gospel. We cannot be ashamed. We cannot misunderstand the word and and preach a distorted truth. We cannot water it down and speak whatever itching ears want to hear. We must know and understand the word of God, which only comes through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And then, being the light of Christ, never hide that under a basket, but put it on a stand for all the world to see. And this is how Christ's kingdom is ushered in, by his hand. And we have the incredible privilege of being God's divine instruments to reflect his glory and truth. Because remember, he has reserved the job of illumination to himself only. Right? We don't do that. But he has made us vessels of light to impart this truth, to shine his glory of grace. God reserves to himself the illumination of divine revelation right on the heels of our presentation of the message of the gospel. So may God grant that all of us truly shine with this reflected glory to the Son of God. And each of us should pray and ask and consider, God, how can I, this imperfect, broken, weak vessel, in this season of my life and in this place where I am right now, how do you want me to declare this truth to the lost? God, how can I be a reflector of your grace? Because that's what he made us to be. So in summary, we've seen that rightly perceiving and understanding the word of God doesn't come from a sufficiency within ourselves, but by God and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. So we must pray for the Spirit's work. We must devote ourselves to God's word daily. And then we must reflect and shine that gospel truth to the world. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your incredible truth. You've you've given us this word of grace that we may know you, that we may be made alive by you. Oh, Lord, help us now to partake and receive this illumination of the Spirit, that we may see your wonderful truths. And God, may you then quicken us of how right now, today, we may be the light of the world and shine this light and share your truth to the lost and dying, that they may also know and partake of your gospel grace. In Jesus' name, amen.